Welcome to Drunk AF, the podcast exploring a world of awesome, interesting, cool, successful people who are using a different relationship with alcohol to make themselves even more awesome and successful. AF stands for alcohol free, it also stands for as fuck, and it's your call on whatever you want it to mean. I'm your host, James Herman, and today I'm joined by someone who is Die AF. Die Hanwood is a comedian and an expert in punning his name, creating the show's dynamic scenarios, Die Another Day, Adapt or Die, and Roll the Die, and a website called Die Space. He's also the captain of Team 2 on the hit TV3 show Seven Dies Days. <laughs> like most comedians, Die graduated with a degree in Eastern religions. He went on to win the award for Best New Face on TV2's Pulp Comedy in 1999, the Billy T Award in 2002, and the New Zealand International Comedy Festival Fred Award in 2007. Then after famously being the pissed comedian on C4 television, he began to experiment with periods of sobriety before giving up booze entirely in 2018. He's one of the funniest people in New Zealand and he's here with me today. Di, welcome. Oh, thank you for a very lovely intro there. (laughs) All good, all good. Your Instagram at the moment says that you're on an Insta break. Tell me about that, why? Well, I was on a bit of an Insta break and then I sort of slipped back in as social media has you do and then I um, I actually recently went to, because you very rarely go to your own profile and then I went to that and went, oh shit, I haven't, uh, haven't uh, <laughs> updated the fact that, mind you, I've left an email auto-reply on for way too long in the past that said I was on holiday in 2015 and yeah. <laughs> I changed that in about 2018. I... Um, I often have little breaks from social media. I sort of, um, it's quite hard in my, I ditched Facebook a few years back and um, that sort of, um, never. I never needed it again. I, I suppose I don't get, um, I get a bit annoyed at outrage and um, negativity. I'm sort of a very positive person and I um, often find I'll be reading things. Instagram's different, of course, but I'll be reading things on Twitter or whatever and then I'm starting to get outraged and mm. I'm. it's bringing up negative feelings in me. Um, and, yeah, so I'm, I'm sort of all about the positive. So I like to just step away from it every now and again. Yeah, yeah. It's, um, the outrage thing's amazing. Why do you think we like outrage so much? Because obviously it's something that people must enjoy a great deal on some level for there to be so much of it, right? I think it's also, it's a mixture of people and algorithm because algorithm rewards engagement. Outrage creates engagement. So it's not necessarily an algorithm rewarding outrage, but when people are outraged, they engage, then that causes other people to engage. And, you know, it's like... um. I always think it's like when people are shocked or really angry about something, they'll complain about it. But if you just sort of quite like something, you're not going to ring up the broadcasting authority and go, hey, I sort of quite like that TV show. You know, like, <laughs> no. so, so the outrage and the negativity sort of brings brings the engagement. And um, strangely, I mean, we're, we're, we're talking about alcohol in this, and I found when I was in a more drinking zone – I was more sort of open to hmm. the outrage because I don't know whether your sort of your inhibitions are a bit down. So you think, yeah, I'll get into that argument. But now I think I oh, just, I just let it go. Yeah, 
And have you ever, I mean, often as a comedian, you kind of either intentionally or inadvertently stoke outrage, right? With your, oh, completely. With your because comedy isn't good being written down and read, um, which I think is where um, comedians can get in trouble if someone goes to a show, cherry picks a sentence, then puts that in a article or something because one you don't have tone two you don't have context at all it's like for instance Lenny Bruce who's one of my favorite comedians who um if people out there haven't heard of him he's an old old school American comic and he um he was the first to really push the boundaries around what you could say on stage as a rest it was in the days where you'd be arrested for profanity Mm. and he'd really push in America, the racial tension boundaries and so forth, not in terms of being racist, but this is the example. If you actually read a transcript, you would think he was being racist, but through using what would be thought of as racist, well, which are racist terms, and the context he had put them in, he's actually was actually completely slamming and challenging the system. Yes. So it is... Comedy is something that needs so much context. And also, if someone writes a joke on Twitter, someone else reads it, they don't know if they're a comedian and they just yeah. read it seriously, then... Yeah. And there's nothing worse than trying to defend a, defend a joke. I mean, people these days also think about cancel culture and all this. I, I've personally always been a, a fan of if you know how to move with the times and you're a kind person with a good moral compass you don't there is no cancel culture because you know I've said things probably in the past on stage in the early 2000s that wouldn't be acceptable now but when I said them I didn't say them with a malicious intent Mm. they were probably just Mm. phrases that are unacceptable now but I never said them to hurt a group of people or whatever but yeah. then as soon as I a good example is probably I um, I when I was young you know people would always use the word gay right like, mm. oh that's gay or whatever then um, I grew up in a theatre environment so um, in my environment basically 50% of people were gay mm. so when I found out at school that it was probably a lot lower, more around 10 to 15%. Yeah. I was like, what? Yeah, <laughs> right. And then I was explained in the theatres, I fell into using that term. Yeah. And I was explained by an actor going, oh, just if you use that term, you're using it in a negative context. Mm. And that means someone who is gay, and that's just who they are as a human, you're constantly referring to who they are in the negative. Yes. And when that was framed to me as like a 13-year-old or whatever, that really struck yeah. with me. And yeah. that explained, when someone explained it to me that way, I was like, yeah, yeah. don't use that word. Yeah. You know, so it, it's it's little things of um, that. And then once you learn something, you move on from it. Yeah. And you don't use a word like that. So yeah. I think, yeah, I've always, um, I think the whole cancel culture thing is quite an intriguing because often it's just, used by people who want to say pretty offensive things. Yeah. And then they say, oh, well, you're going to cancel me. Yeah. You know, when they're just trying to be a shock jock. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's interesting. I only learnt 
quite recently that it wasn't until 1986 that we legalized homosexuality in New Zealand. Wow. Doesn't that sound mental? So, and I was reflecting on that because, of course, you know, to your point, when we were kids, yes, we used gay as a derogatory term to describe anything we thought was, I don't know, uncool or whatever it might be, right? Um, And no wonder because, you know, for the first eight years or nine years of my life, it was illegal to be gay. So we were sort of told by our government that that was a really wrong thing to do. And so no wonder it was positioned in our minds in that way as a a sort of a a negative word or a negative concept. It's things like this that completely befuddle me because I find it stressful enough to get through my own life and deal with my own situations and my family and all that, let alone worrying about decisions other people are making Mm. that have no bearing on me. It's not, they're not, you know, things that have no consequence. Someone else smoking marijuana, someone Mm. else's choice of who they want to sleep with or, Mm. you know, I, I, um, I just find the idea of people passing morality laws and then trying to enforce them so bizarre because <laughs> I don't really see a win in that, you know, like there's, you can go meth should be illegal because <laughs> there's a win there. Meth causes horrific yes. harm to families. Mm. It causes violence. It, mm. You know, there's a win in saying we shouldn't. Yes. But there's no win in telling people who they can marry or who they can mm. sleep with. And I mean, no. I'm I, I'm proud seeing I've got young kids and seeing them grow up and have friends who have two mums, mm. you know, who, mm. and they just, that's not a, that's not even a thing they talk about as being different yeah it's just like hey yeah yeah they've got two mums yeah. <laughs> so that that's awesome and i have massive faith in humanity to be honest mm. i've often wondered about meth because i'm not a meth user myself mm. um it's very and- moorish apparently <laughs> <laughs> so i've heard um and i don't think that i know any meth users but i've often wondered like whether because to your point, it sort of it feels like it's a, a, an objectively bad thing. Like with most things, you know, some people could look back and go, I'm really glad I got into that because that opened up this opportunity for me or whatever. I wonder if anyone ever thinks, I'm really yeah, glad I really, got into meth. That was that a really, really positive thing. really me. turned my life around for <laughs> yeah. the better. You know, it's just, tra- it's, I've seen the damage it does to mm. New Zealand and even in schools, you know, with kids who are now... Mm-hmm. I was talking to someone who um, was saying it's phenomenal uh, the actual rate of kids now living with their grandparents because that middle oh, wow. middle line sort of parenting wow. structure has um, yeah. fallen through the cracks through yeah, meth and God, that. I'm just awful, um, I've always been glad, I suppose, that my vice was alcohol. Yeah. I've, I mean, I've dabbled with drugs over the years as as people do but n- none of them ever you know bec- that was never a, an mm. issue for me mm. so i could only imagine how horrific that would be mm. so going back to the 80s your your father ray was an actor who starred in gliding on which was a kiwi sitcom uh, back in the early 80s and 
I mean, how do you, how do you think New Zealand comedy's changed in the four decades since then? So much. Um, bizarrely, my dad was on the longest running comedy show behind it seven days. Now we we've overtaken it. Wow, it was on for six years, I think. I um, New Zealand comedy has changed so much comedy in general's changed so much when i got into comedy like dad was a um comedic actor he didn't do stand-up and so forth he did um plays he was a comedic actor and and also a celebrated serious um dramatic actor but when i got into stand-up which was i did my first gig in 1997 comedy was not cool it was not something. People said, if you're not Billy T. James, you shouldn't be doing comedy in New Zealand. Billy T. has passed away and there's no need for more comedians. We had Billy T. and Fred Dagg, mate. Yeah. Then but before me, the pe- people who had really made inroads were Mike King, um, Brendan Lovegrove, Sugar and Spice and a few others. And then I came in and we were gigging in pubs for no money where people didn't want to here, uh, New Zealand voices. You'd mm. have a comedy festival and Irish comics would come over, British comics, and people would just fall in love. Yeah. That foreign accent would buy them yep. an extra 10 minutes, even though the best thing about comedy is even if you're famous, it only buys you a few minutes. Mm. You still have to be funny because mm. comedy, I believe, is the most honest art form. You can go into an art gallery, you can go to a serious play, you can go to the ballet, and you can nod your head and be, uh, oh, yeah. I understand that. Yeah, yeah. Yes. But in comedy, you can't fake laughing for no. an hour. So you know when you're on stage whether you're good or not. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, it, when I started out, it wasn't, it was a real struggle. Then it got easier and easier, and I sort of dovetailed quite nicely in terms of moving into TV when. Um, it was sort of tied in with the flight of the Concords, I believe, were a crucial part in re-establishing the coolness of New Zealand comedy. And I was lucky enough to be in Edinburgh living with them, actually, when they just went on the sort of mm. hockey stick trajectory to fame. And I was living with them while I had no one coming to my shows and I was cancelling them at this sort of festival. Um, and because I, I mean, I've, I started in a cricket team with Brett McKenzie when I was like five years right. old and we've sort of known each other through the Wellington scene when we were younger. And, um, and they just went on this trajectory and then sort of I was in Edinburgh, then I came back home. Things didn't go quite as well as I thought they would over there and, um, I found my own niche just as they were just becoming superstars. But that sort of made Kiwis go, wow, we are. Yeah. We are funny. And then um, I got a break over here on TV. I found it, really found a chord with people. Then I was touring and selling out over here. And I can remember um, my sort of fame moment, if you will, where I went, oh, this has hit a quarters I went um was doing the Christchurch Buskers Festival and was walking along to the to the show I was doing and there was just a it was full and there was a queue right round the block and I was just like wow and they all sort of swarming up and it just blew me away yeah and um that sort of 
that whole time for me was a really boozy time as mm. well because um, I've always been a boozer um, since I was a, a young and I mean, mm. growing, growing up in the theatre, I was always around boozers. I always worked in bars. I was really good working in bars. Mm. I was very functioning. I was very positive. Mates liked me because I was sort of, I was your life of the party yeah. guy, not. Yeah, punch out your mate yeah. sort of guy, um, and so that then sort of dovetail um, just sort of exploded, I suppose, because comedy is one of the few jobs you go to and you're handed a drink before you start work. Mm. Yeah, because <laughs> that's like they you always, they call it a performer's drink often, where you go in this, you know, what do you want? Yes. You know, grab a yeah. grab a pint before you go to the green room and sort of yeah. have a few beers before you go on. I was, I mean, I was never a big drinker before I performed. I mm. mean, I did quite a few drunk gigs, but that my dad actually, who was a f- epic professional. He never drank a drop before right. he performed, and he loved to drink, but he never drank a drop before he performed, and he sort of instilled a really good professional yeah. um, aspect to my career, which I took on board, and I, I love him for that. And yeah, New Zealand comedy then just started exploding. Seven Days came along. That even more legitimised comedians because people were seeing New Zealand comedians on TV we were rolling because it wasn't a show where it's the same people we're rolling through quite a lot of other people so it was exposing comedians then it's just exploded worldwide and in New Zealand through amazing comics like Rose Matafeo who Mm. like she's just a young Mm. shining light who's making huge hits with her TV stuff in Britain and America um, and then there's just such a host of them, mm. comedians over here. And I think the the most recent comedy festival showed because of COVID, there was no international acts and it was still huge. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it has come such a long way. I mean, I, I can definitely relate to, you know, when you started in the 90s feeling like, um, you know, just, just feeling like we weren't really funny, New Zealanders. Yeah, I don't quite know what it was. Aussies have always found themselves funny. Um, I, I noticed like when I was filming an Aussie, you'd go into a bar and an Aussie, they're just straight up, oh, g'day Kiwi, how you going mate, what are you up to mate? And they'd just sort of start taking the piss, you'd get a bit of banter going, you go into a pub in Greymouth, people just looking into their pints, oh, what are you doing in here mate, Yeah, you know, so it's a different, I think we, um, whether it's that little brother sort of complex and um, New Zealand definitely has a little bit of a need to be liked that sort of oh yeah. so how'd you find New Zealand yeah. did you like it you know sort of um <laughs> whenever celebs come over here yeah. what do you think of New Zealand <laughs> um we've got we've still got a bit of that which is it's got its own charm but yeah. we now and I don't think that was just New Zealand mm. a comedy mm-hmm. I think it's took us a while for music for yeah uh, sort of, sort of arts and the yeah. arts to, yeah, to to become confident. Yeah, because in sport, then with Edmund Hillary and Ernest Rutherford, you know, we've we we have had people in other fields doing pretty epic mm. things, yeah. and then but the arts, it just took a while for yeah. us to to get yeah. going. And aren't we doing well now? Yeah. Um, 
So Seven Days, you mentioned. I mean, that's an amazing show to watch because it really does feel like you guys are just coming out with brilliant line after brilliant line kind of on the spot and they're just sort of, you know, that's being sort the of The beauty formulated. of editing. Yes, yeah, right? Because we film. What the, we filmed a couple of nights ago, and that was start at 6.30, have a break at 7.30, then we finished at 9 o'clock. Right. Yep. So this is to make 25 minutes of TV. So we are filming for the best part of two hours. Mm. Granted, there are stops and starts in there. So we film for two hours, then that all gets edited down. So it means that when Jeremy says something... Boom, we're out. There's no there's no pause left mm. in. There's no yep. gap. There's not the clangor you mm. might throw out first. Because sometimes what I love about it is my joy of stand-up and my joy of comedy is riffing. Like I can prepare. I'll prepare a lot for the show. Like yep. I'll watch the news and you you, you know what's going to be in it. Just for you go, look, they're the three biggest stories of the week. You know? Yeah. Like when that big Oprah interview's on, you go, well, that's definitely going to be in the show. Right. So I'll watch it and sort of think of it, try and think of, even if it's not exact jokes, just think of a few angles on stories. Yes, right. And that's the best thing is then another comic will come out with an angle and that will, I won't have thought of that, and that will send me down a whole other yep. tangent. That's the best thing about having so many talents at once because when you're at stand-up, you're by yourself. There's yeah. no one else. So if you stop talking, nothing's happening. But on that show, I'm like, oh, I don't really have something here. But I can be comfortable to sit back for a little bit mm. and then someone else chucks something out and that gets your creative juices flowing yeah. and then you're flying away with it. And I think in a way, talking to some um, of the younger comics who have come on, the danger can be you sit down and then all of a sudden half the show's gone because you're yeah. sort of watching it. Mm. You've got to... Mm, I bet, yeah. So my, my sort of encouragement to them is always, even if it's not that funny, just get talking, yeah. get sort of in the conversation. Yeah, yeah, wow. And and what if you if you just had to do it, like if they just said, you're on now, all of you, and um, with no preparation whatsoever, would it be a disaster or would it'd it be, still be it'd really be funny? better. <laughs> It'd be better in a way. Um, we, I think, um, our live tours are pretty much that, mm. which is awesome because we're not bound by broadcasting standards. We're not bound by ad breaks. We're not bound by yeah. So in a live tour, it's like oh, it doesn't matter if this one story goes for so long. Yeah. Because Jeremy and the producers will sort of trawl the local newspapers and. Mm so forth and find some random little stories mm. that we can then he can throw at us on the night and um i think once or twice i've done stand up where i sort of will go in with not no prep but go well, i sort of want a something funny and rowing i want let's just talk about rowing yeah. or there's something funny in this and i um when i'm preparing for a show I will record my gigs and then when I'll listen to it on the way home and the gem will be the bit that I haven't prepared, mm. that the mm. prepared stuff gets me going. Yes, yeah. In a way, I find I like to prepare a lot because if I've got a net to fall back into, I don't need it. 
yeah, yeah. in a way. It's that, yeah, it's that thing of that idea of you know you, of sort of no matter how much you've worked you've done for a speech, mm. chuck your notes away because you yeah. know it. You know it's that thing of like you just yeah, absolutely. So I love it, and you know I'll I'll have my notes when um I'm doing a longer new set if I really want to get. I've written all these gags and I want to do them all so I can find out what the funny is. So I'll have my notes and occasionally have a look at it Yeah. when I'm just doing sort of open open yeah. mic nights. Yeah. Yeah, the safety net thing's really interesting. Phil Jackson, who who coached the Chicago Bulls, he, um, he, he was a real sort of game plan person. So, you know, they'd have a really a really clear plan for the game and they'd all know exactly what they did as part of that plan and what the moves were, what the plays were. Um, but ultimately he, he would sort of just let them go and play like stars because they were, and he just wanted them to play really fluidly until the game started to turn against them. And then they'd go back to the plan and they'd start doing that and get themselves out of trouble and then just kind of play fluidly yeah. again. And, um, and that really helps that safety net to kind of... Yeah, yeah, it's 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 difficult without it, isn't it? Or it's good to have it there when you need it. Yeah, well, I suppose in sport, the issue is often as people being having their flair coached out of them. Yeah, to like New Zealand went through a thing of with cricketers of just like don't bowl as fast, just get your mm. have the right line mm. and length and the right delivery and all that sort of thing. Whereas you see a lot of Indian bowlers who are coming in with these crazy actions that they've yeah. just been doing, yeah. And um, the coaches are more like, "Well, it's working. <laughs> just totally. go, just go for it." Well, there's the element of surprise, yeah. isn't there? If, yeah, um, people are playing like that. So, um, so you spent a, f- a few years dabbling with periods of sobriety before you you gave up yeah. entirely. What what made you finally decide to quit completely? Well, so. In there, you mentioned 2000, 2018 was probably where I really made a commitment to be sober. And then so between 2018, between November 2018 and November 2019, I was sober for like 11 out of 12 months, give or take. And um, every time I had a couple of drinks, every time I had a couple of nights where I was drinking, it just sort of instilled in me that I wanted to be sober um i mentioned how how i was the life of the party and all that sort of carry on and then um where it did take its toll was on my relationship with my now wife who she doesn't drink either um just in terms of i suppose her worrying about me me causing worry Mm. um through my health my you know, all your mates see you as the life of the party. They don't see you sort of in the crying in the shower or the, the booze blues that any heavy drinkers will know of or the, as I got older, the anxiety associated with booze, the self, not self-loathing to an extent where um, I knew I was causing this worry, mm. you know, because I worked right. She, she was in a job where she was working during the day and you know I'd have the early part of the week off I'd start drinking with mates at lunchtime on a Tuesday she comes home from work I'm half cut and want to keep going and mm. so that 
caused me a lot of guilt and I didn't like that guilt and um, then I'd drink and um, then drinking became counting the counting you know I've got to count the drinks so I don't mm. you know it's like um, <laughs> when I'm when I'm counting it I'm not enjoying it Yeah. and then when I'm not counting it it's un- not enjoyable yeah. <laughs> so it's like was this thing of I then spent sort of I I've probably actually been thinking I've been thinking about giving up probably for the best part of ten years almost. Mm. I knew I I came to the the conclusion I had an issue with drinking in two thousand and round two thousand and nine two thousand and ten even, mm. and then um. I started uh, sort of started getting involved with Hello Sunday Morning, which was a program out of Australia by Chris Rain, um, which was about taking three months off. I thought, yeah, no, I'll take three months off. That had good good effects, but then just went straight back in. Mm. This is where um, I think things like Dry July are great, mm. and they're great, but also they're... Kiwis rock this mentality of hey, got one day left, then yes. boom, it's on. Yeah. So yeah. in a way, it's like yeah, it's like Kiwis go, oh, I haven't drunk, so I can stockpile it and I can drink more. Yeah. And um, <laughs> yeah, and I just became more aware that alcohol was harming me. It was I didn't think I was being as good a parent as I could, mm. and um. That then made me feel like a dick. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. like when you're going, "What am I hungover?" Or mm. even if I'm not brutally hungover, just that yeah. well, I'm operating at seventy percent here. My work's a bit shorter. Yeah, um, it would then mean I'd just make really shit food decisions, yeah. which then just led to me feeling yeah, that's the interesting thing, isn't it? I, yeah, I found the same thing. Like if you, like you're saying, you don't even need to be particularly hungover, but if you're just a little bit, all of your other decisions are affected by that. Yeah. You know, your decision to exercise, well, you don't. And your decision to eat properly, well, you don't. And uh, it's already affected your sleep. And so there are all of those sorts of um, things that sort of resolve themselves when you're um, when when you wake up with a completely clear head. And I, think- I, 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 to be honest, thought. Um, the other myth around alcohol I think there is is this weird rock bottom mm. thing of um, I'm not a big believer in rock bottom because I think you can always go lower. Um, this sort of thing, well, I'm not I'm not in a dumpster, mate. You know, I'm actually doing some of my best work, mm. um, earning the best money I've ever earned, you know. Um, yep. Living large, let's go out for lunch and have... Just get a bottle of Bollinger, you know? And um, that rock bottom thing, and then I realised that I was sort of hitting a rock bottom, you know? And then I was going, what am I waiting for? Yeah. Do you yeah. know? Like, yeah. you've got to live yeah. right now. <laughs> yeah. So I, um, then in 2019 and sort of November, where um, I'd just been over to Japan to cover the Rugby World Cup and... I had a big night over there. Japan's sort of my second spiritual home, really. It's a country I love. And I was over there, and first night I I drank, and uh, I sort of had a good night, but then had a big hangover. And 
I was like, oh, this is going to be over. And then a really close friend of mine, Nick D, who um, he, um, he's a Kiwi DJ situation. He's sober and he lives over there and I sort of connected mm. with him and he's quite an inspiration. And, and I came back and then I was having a couple of drinks on tour and nothing huge. Mm. Then I just went, it's done now. Yeah. It's done. Yeah. My wife was six months ahead of me giving up. And then, yeah, and then I've just sort of been completely sober from um, November the November 22nd, I think it was. I mean, I'm not a big fan of keeping exact yeah. times and dates and yeah. that because that, that's also a worry I think people have is they go, oh, if I have a drunk, then, oh, no. Yeah. You know, then that's all over. I'm back drinking because yeah. I broke my streak. Yeah. Whereas um, a phrase that stuck with me so much as I trained um, a lot with Monty Beetham and he um, he said to me, he goes, just remember whether it's eating or drinking, just because you're, you've got a slash tyre doesn't mean you need to slash the other three. Do you know? <laughs> like yeah. You could just yep. replace that tyre and your car's good to go. Don't go buck wild. Yeah. Because, yeah. um, that, and that was me of me coming to grips with the fact that I don't moderate. Yeah. And, and that's what I've, I've sort of read about you saying that you find it, find it, you found it very difficult to moderate, but actually quite easy to give up entirely, which feels paradoxical. But well, zero is the easiest number to remember. Yeah. Especially when it comes to things that are, um, mind, Altering, I mm. think, because your decision making goes out the window. I'm not someone who's like, oh, I'll just have one glass mm. of beer. I'll have three, and then three sort of makes me feel like I should have a few more. Yeah. And um, my ability not to moderate is awesome. Like, the reason why I'm a good comic is because I don't moderate. Mm. I don't moderate myself artistically. When I go out, I just go for yeah. it. I don't. Think I'd never think about what I'm saying. I just say it because that's <laughs> I trust what I'm saying. And if I started trying to moderate myself, art and moderation don't go together, which is why I think a lot of artists have drug and alcohol issues. Mm. And not moderating yourself is a very good thing when it's in positive mm. areas. Mm. However, I'm caught up as I am. Um, at the beginning, you mentioned how I have a thing in Eastern, mm, yeah, Eastern religions is my degree, and um, after that, I went to Japan and studied Zazen meditation, and um, the path of Buddhism is very much the even way, the the moderate way, mm. and um, that's something I'm coming to enjoy yes. more and more. I spend a lot. I I sort of do. I'm about now, between an hour and two hours of meditation a day, and that for me is my buzz. Yeah. Because um, once I realised that happiness, humans confuse euphoria with happiness, mm. and euphoria is what you get from boozing yeah. and drugs. Euphoria is that thing. That doesn't give you happiness. Happiness is a very quiet emotion. mm True happiness is a very subtle, quiet emotion. And taking booze out of the equation for me, it took out a lot of the highs, yeah. but it took the lows out yeah. as well, and that actually gave me 
yeah. a more even path. I find I listen better mm. um, because my issue is when I had a drink, I was thinking about the next drink. Yeah. Like mm. if there were a, was one beer left in the fridge when I'm pouring that beer, or I'm not thinking about this beer. <laughs> I'm thinking about the fact there's no more beers yeah. there and I am going to want another beer. Yes. And should I go and get more beers before I drink this, because if I drink this, mm. that will mean I've had three beers, which means I shouldn't drive mm. to go and get... So, yeah, yeah. And what a boring conversation <laughs> that is to have with yourself. <laughs> you know, like... Absolutely. You can use the bandwidth of your mind for so many better things yeah. than that. Yeah. I didn't study Eastern religion at university, but I did read The Tao of Pooh. Have oh, you read well, that? No, that's... This is what I call like a rule of three. Uh, over the last week, this is the third time I've heard that. That, that is by, oh, man. he's written a few books. Yeah, there's like the Day of Piglet as well um, and some others, but that, that was a, a, a transformational book for me. Well, Tao, which is means sort of the way in Chinese, um, the Taoism is probably what I would identify with mm. if I had to identify with. It's not really a religion because Taoism and Buddhism are not religions. They're sort of more because you can be Buddhist and Catholic. Yes, it's more yeah. something that is a philosophy or a school yeah. It's of more something that something. impacts yeah. your way of life. And Taoism is something because I studied Qigong, which is like a slow version of Tai Chi. If, right. if you ever can get any slower. <laughs> um, and that's Taoism is very much part of that, and it's mm. sort of the the best action is inaction, yeah, which is um, yeah. sits very nicely with me of not, yeah, and that happiness is contentedness, yeah, content right? contentment is yeah. more is more what happiness is. So taking that booze out of my life just took. Mm. So many boring conversations <laughs> with myself, <laughs> yeah. and 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 with me and my my wife and I have had amazing times boozing mm. together, mm. um, and not so amazing times where you're not get into you're not throwing frying pans at each other, but you're in just having those dumb arguments. Yeah, yeah. We we are halfway through. I can't remember what we're arguing about, but one of those <laughs> things where we um. <laughs> Had a great dinner out, then started having a conversation towards the end of the dinner that then yeah. turns into a slight argument in the cab. Yeah. Then we're home, and you don't really know what you're arguing about, no. but the vibe's angry. Totally. And so taking those out of the situation. Yeah. And then my wife knows if I, when I go out, when I come home, yeah. I'm just me. I haven't lost my keys. I haven't yeah. lost my wallet. Yeah. Um. So taking all of those boring conversations out, and I'm not denying saying to people out there, you can do what you want, you can drink. Um, there's people out there. I've got m most of my mates drink, and um, most of them would probably have an alcohol problem on on paper, mm. but they don't. Like yeah. they yeah. they don't. Mm. They can stop drinking. Yeah. They they have a happy. They've they've worked it into their lifestyle, yeah. but for me it wasn't working. And um, I'm a big fan of sort of from Taoist and, and Stoic philosophy, really. Of you make your life better by subtracting, not adding. Mm. 
whereas it's very Western mm. to add. Yeah. You know, oh, I'll pick up this new fad. No, I need to get that supplement. I need yeah. to do that. And you can actually make your life a hell of a lot better by removing things mm. rather than adding them. And mm. I found removing yeah. booze yeah. To, yeah. to do that. And the moderation thing, I mean, I think people can feel very kind of guilty about not being able to moderate, right? Oh, definitely. And it's sort of like, uh, you know, it's easy to sort of feel a real sense of failure if you, if you can't moderate, but, but I was sort of the same. So I'm just like you, I, I find it quite difficult to moderate, but really quite easy to not drink at all. Um, which again seems quite paradoxical to me, but I didn't, you know, I really didn't feel very good about not being able to moderate, even though it's just brain science, right? It's just brain chemistry. Um, but your way of sort of, you know, understanding where moderation can help you, uh, where immoderation, sorry, can help you, um, and being able to direct it in that way is really interesting. And, um, and I think it's sort of, it asks a really interesting question of anyone who does um, perhaps find themselves being immoderate with alcohol. Are there ways in your life that you can, you know, put tilt that immoderate sort of tendency towards and, and, and use that for, as a force for good? Well, it is turning the negative into a positive of me yeah. finding, look, actually my ability not to moderate is a superpower. It's mm. made me a better comedian. And also coming to grips with... Your life is you. It's your bias. You Mm. can't see anything through anyone else's eyes except yourself. Mm. So it's you. Your existence on the planet is your existence. Mm. There is no existence that you've joined. You are solely your existence because everything you see, every word you hear goes into your ears and is put through your brain matrix and your eyes. Mm. So you may as well embrace you. Mm. And, you know, if someone, if there was something, if alcohol didn't have that sort of window of awesomeness, Mm. um, that window of awesomeness, it just had the side effects. Yeah. You'd be mental. Yeah, <laughs> you You'd really would be. You'd be mental to take it. Humans are so bizarre that yeah. alcohol is a poison. Yeah. You know, like my son, it was really interesting actually because I was cleaning something with isopropyl alcohol and um, my wife said, oh, is that the alcohol? Because she's going to sterilise her earrings in it. My son went, oh, is that? what you guys used to drink and I was like oh no if you drunk that you'd die and he went what do you mean and then that thing of trying to explain oh no what we drunk was like a watered down version of that and then it just made it sound even more ridiculous that you were watering down a poison so you didn't kill yourself as a drink and to him it's such a mental idea because Yeah. He has an experience that what we'd think of as that woozy yeah. thing. And now I've had so much space from not drinking from mm. drinking that the the for me the hardest part was the hab- habitual part of mm. it. Like I come home, oh crack a beer. Mm-hmm. That sort of thing. And then I sort of replaced it with zero alcohol beers, then I'll have one of those, you know, if I'm out and about and mm. sort of to hold something and drink. But that 
well, now the habit's gone. Right. It actually it repulses me. Not repulses me. It um it just makes me feel like I don't. I get that. Oh, I'm so glad. I have more moments where I go. Oh, I'm so glad I'm not hungover because mm. I'm a morning person. I'm a mm. like up at five five thirty yeah. type person. Like, because I now or or even when you now were and when I was drinking, I just wake. I'm an early waker. And now that's my favourite time of the day. Yeah. I've a bit of meditation. I um I'm like always been a massive tea enthusiast, and I really can enjoy a cup of tea. It's not like oh, I'm hungover and I'd smash like three mm. teas or a coffee, and mm. Mm. you know just mm. try and get myself back up to normal. It's yeah. so nice now going. Okay, I've got a headache. Why do I have a headache? Yeah. Am I yeah. dehydrated on oh, no, some muscular thing? Mm. Like, then everything's a bit more honest. Mm-hmm. It's like you can actually, because I would write off and um, probably had a few medical things that went a bit under the radar because I was putting it down to a hangover, you mm. know, whereas yeah. now you're like, yeah. oh no. Actually, no. that something's a bit wrong there. Yeah, you know, rather than oh god, my uh, oh no, that, yeah, that Has, was because I was trying to arm wrestle my massive tonga mate while I was pissed. <laughs> this <way. laughs> Has that affected your comedy? Does it make it? I mean, is it does it make it better or does it make it worse or does it not really affect it at all? Not drinking. It makes it better. It makes it less wild. Mm. Like I was a wild comic. I was really unpredictable. I was crazy. Mm. But that also was my age then. That yep. was through my 20s and early 30s. Mm. It makes it better because I really prepare now. Instead of then getting pissed after a gig, I'll listen to my gig. I'll yep. make notes on my gig. I'll yep. refine it. I find I can harness my energy a lot better. Mm-hmm. I find that... Um, my gigs are more consistent. Not uh, like I've been blessed that I've never really bombed, mm. but I'd have a dip. Yeah, because I was hungover, or yep. I was hungover, so I'd smash a couple of beers to get back to normal. Mm. Um, that sort of hair of the dog is, which is the ends up sort of being the trigger to needing the next hair of the dog. Yeah. So, um, yeah, my writing's better, my focus is better, mm. and. I'm not so focused on the night. Mm-hmm. I'm focused on the gig. It also means when I'm gigging late, I'm not stressed out about being pissed. Mm. When I'm on tour, it's not like, oh, I'll go out and have lunch. I'll have a couple of beers. Right, I've got to get a sleep in. Mm. Now I'm like, oh, I have a cruise around town. I'll go and play some golf with some mates. So yeah. it's no matter what time, I'm ready to... Yeah, and that translates to the. I love being stopped by the cops. Yeah, now. isn't that great? God, being stopped, driving home from a gig, getting onto a motorway on ramp, which I would always be. I was. I've never been a drunk driver. Mm. That's something I've always been mm. proud of. I've always taken cabs. Yeah, but this time, you know, I've driven when I like. I've been stopped after I've drunk. But I'm under the limit. Yes. Yeah. Which actually, before they changed it, was scarily high. Mm-hmm. Wasn't it? Like, I do remember being breast tested mm-hmm. and they're like, have a good night. And I'm like, I feel a bit pretty buzzed. 
I I I was like, I remember going to a police station like a really long time ago, and there was a poster on the wall with a six pack of beers, and it says, "If you've drunk more than this, you're not okay to drive." Yeah, and this would I would have been pulled over after four beers over two and a half hours. Mm. So I was a bit, I was tipsy, Mm. and it wasn't a like you know how you had the you have the two stops where it's the breathe into that, then the yes full blow. And I didn't even get to the full blow stage. I mean, I was like, oh, this is. And then, but now it's like, it's so nice to know if my kid wakes up and has to go to the hospital. Yeah. I can take them. Yeah. I can deal with that. I feel like a better. Yes. A better father and a better, um, just a a better person. And um, I mean, over the last year, I've gone through some health things that, um, don't really want to talk about in depth, but um, dealing with them mm. was something that was easier yeah. because I wasn't drinking. Because yeah. drinking for me was I'd have a few beers and then, yeah, it's all going to be sweet, yeah. you know. Then yeah. I'm hungover and, oh, it's going to be a disaster. So yeah. so it was, it's been um, it's been a great leveller yeah. for me. And I was worried about – I wasn't worried about my friends because my friends – are awesome. I have an amazing group of friends. I was worried about connections. Mm, yeah. Because, you know, you, you you go around to someone's place on a Saturday afternoon, you're yeah. having dinner, they flick you a glass of bubbles, everyone's sort of got a yeah. bit of that on. It's the great facilitator, yeah. isn't it? But I find once I can get to an event mm. and get through the first couple of drinks, if you will, in mm. inverted commas, i.e. me having a soda water or zero beer, then I'm in the zone. Yeah. There's people out there who don't drink. You must have this exact thing where I'll come home from a night if I've been out late and I feel quite buzzed. Yes, yeah, yeah. And then I go, oh, it's just the atmosphere of being out and chatting yeah. and eating and yeah. music and totally. it's just your sensory thing and then going, oh, I feel a bit. And yeah. then I find it take a while to calm down. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, it's, it's been a massive positive and I, I, I accept that the people in different circles mm. who might have, you know, like I've got a lot of friends in advertising and that and mm. that's quite a punishing industry to go yep. sober in. Mm. Because there's um same same with comedy and that every yeah. so much creative so when stuff when people work long hours yeah and creatively it's like right we'll hit a wall let's have a few drinks come back to this totally yeah yeah and when it gets bred into you over an entire career um, so I I worked in advertising for most of my life and it was um uh, yeah it, when it becomes that commonplace and that much of a habit. And and like you, very high functioning, right? There weren't any sort of discernible problems, but but it becomes a very difficult thing to kind of break out of because you're just so used to it. And then when you do, like you were saying, before, you know, like you were touching on before, um, with the the health um, issues, things become easier. Yeah, that's that's the thing that I found. Everything is really really easy when you don't have booze. Sort of that that even that slight hung hung overness. You know when you when you escape that. And like you were saying about dry July. You know it's a we count down the days and you know it's just a month and then we get straight back on it. And 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 I found I don't know about you, but it wasn't until about six weeks that you start feeling awesome. Yeah, 
and everything becomes super easy. It is the six to six to twelve weeks is sort of like wow, awesome. Yeah. After twelve weeks, I find found it died off, but then it was a thing. Mm. I'd I'd established it like yeah. I'd been to enough things with friends where they knew yes it wasn't a yeah. oh you're still doing that not drinking thing mate you know like I still got a bit of that yeah um oh, sweet people um people are mortally surprised yeah sometimes yeah that you don't because people think of me I'm still my performance style's identical yeah. Yeah, right. No one would know. No one would know the difference. No, most people think, a lot of Kiwis just think I'm hammered when I'm yeah. on stage, but that's also because they're so quiet. Yeah, right. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. I think because they project, so yeah. they go, shit, if I did that, I'd have to be wasted. <laughs> <laughs> okay, my last question, which I ask everyone, um, what are you most optimistic about for the world right now? Humans. I love us. Humans are awesome. I've done my, a lot of my comedy is based on how awesome humanity is. Mm. Um, before we were recording this, we were talking about the news and how it's bad and negative, and we're exposed to everything now. Mm. There's twelve people are murdered in Nigeria. You read about that. You wouldn't have in the past. No. So you are bombarded with everything from the minute eye to the horrific of yeah. humanity. Yeah. They don't tell you about the Nigerian scientist who discovered something awesome. Mm. You know, you won't yeah. read that story. Yeah. Um, so I am really positive that humans can fix things. Mm. And things like, um, when I say things, I'm talking about climate change and so forth. Mm. I don't understand why we want to colonise Mars. It would be easier to live on Earth after a nuclear attack mm. than Mars. True. Why don't we fix that? <laughs> We've got it here. Yeah. We've got it here. Um, and I'm optimistic that humans are going to fix things. When I was, I've been doing reading about people figuring out how to turn unrecyclable plastic into gas, mm. how to um, properly harness solar power, you know, like mm. I think these things now that people are realizing there's money in this. Yeah. Once there's money in saving the planet, yeah. it's going to happen. Yeah, and once the planet's ability, the planet changes enough where big companies, because there was a wonderful scam done, I think by BP it was, where it was their whole marketing department went out to make the onus on individuals, mm. like get out there and save the planet, <laughs> make your showers shorter. <laughs> individuals can do bugger all. Mm. Come, the big yeah. business needs to uh, individuals like that's over simplifying it. You can change, yeah. but in terms of massive global change, mm. it involves yeah the you know the twenty biggest companies. Yep. If they change their practices, then you'd actually see. Yeah. So they did this campaign to put it on to the individuals, mm. and um, it individuals loved it because it was like wow we can make a change and then that meant the companies didn't but I think I'm optimistic in humanity I think we're silly to look at the negatives all the time we have to find the positives Mm. and I'm optimistic that humans will make it better Mm. we made it worse we can make it better (laughs) I think so too I share your optimism it's been great to speak to you thanks for coming on the show cheers cheers